Hey, Greg, why is gravity so cheap? Because it's mass produced. Oh, I oh, yes. I mean, oh, yeah, oh. Well, energy can also break gravity too. Like you can, you know, because gravity equals MC squared. So energy also. Gregoire and Dan Beeston are smart enough to know better. Episode 195 of Smart Enough to Know Better. We're a podcast of science. And comedy. And ignorance. I'm Dan Beeston. And I'm Gregoire. And in this episode of Smart Enough to Know Better, we'll be smurfing with wolves. But before we get there, what happened to you this week in science? You know how I've been having a beef with that terrible enemy, the Northern Hemisphere. Oh, you, know how you, are, I, you, you are constantly picking fights. I'm all, the Northern Hemisphere, they think they're all that in a bucket of chips, and they're just not. Like, the Southern Hemisphere is the correct hemisphere, and all these people are like, oh, you know, we industrialized, we made maps, blah, 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 so now we have to do, oh, look, we're Europe and North America and Russia and China and, and Japan. Yeah, and, but we've got giant sloths. We I mean, do. No, and more, they, they, did, they, they, they died. But we ate them. We had them. We didn't. We didn't eat them. We had all the macrofauna. Oh, we had it all. We had it all. I mean, and, not, and now, not not mammoths, I guess. No, we didn't have the elephants. That's true. We, we, we can. We, we had the marsupial ones. We had lots of marsupial ones, but not, yeah. not and not just. And, and we're talking also not just Australia. There, there are other parts of the southern hemisphere. There's Africa and this 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 New Zealand and there's South America and there's Antarctica. So South there's America of, had them big sloths. They had very big sloths. That's yes, yep. fantastic. They had and they had the thunderbirds. You know, not the marionettes from before time, but as in as in the the giant murderous birds that ran around and ate everyone. Anyway, Southern Hemisphere is amazing. It's the best yeah. hemisphere, and I will fight anyone. I will fight you. Please come to the Southern Hemisphere and fight me. Well, anyway. that's the scientific method. <laughs> that's, that's how we do things. So I was super, 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 super excited. I discovered something. Well, I didn't discover this, but I read this thing, which made me so happy. For the longest time, the prevailing thought process amongst all those highfalutin scientists in the Northern Hemisphere with their pants and their ski shoes and their cold Christmases, they have been saying mammals first evolved. In the Northern Hemisphere. Well, that's that's a that's tricky to judge because the Northern Hemisphere wasn't in the Northern Hemisphere. The mammals <laughs> this, like, this turned is up on the spot. Well, like, that was that was Pangaea, right? Just a well, great big blob. Well, actually, it was yes. Yeah, so when mammals started coming, actually mammals, or as I like to call it, when the nipples appeared, <laughs> boobs. So. The, when mammals started first appearing, there there was actually northern hemisphere to northern hemisphere in. So there was actually it is sort of sort of splitting off. So Gondwana had sort of sort of broken up a bit, and so there were things happening in the Cretaceous period. There was northern hemisphere, but they thought that it was northern hemisphere because that's where they found all these fossils. And what they were looking for is something called Theria or Therian mammals, the earliest ancestors of marsupials, so like our koalas and wombats, and placentals, so the thing that it all came from. And they had they kept finding these jawbones and these tiny, 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 tiny little jawbones uh, that was used for like mm-hmm. crushing insect insects. It's very, very cool. And they kept finding them all over the place in the Northern Hemisphere, and they were like, well, that's because this is where they evolved. I mean, that makes sense. 
I instantly see a problem with that. Where are all the scientists looking? Well, they're all Northern Hemisphere people, and they're looking in the Northern Hemisphere. I, I already see a problem with that. So, oh, so they didn't go to the Southern Hemisphere and go, we can't find shit. Well, it was more that they m- many more were found in the Northern Hemisphere. And when they started looking in other places, they were like, oh, actually, we can find these in other places like Madagascar and Argentina and India and, and even in Australia. So they, they find them even on our big, wide brown land. But that's fine. They said there's a lot more of them. They, we think they started in the Northern Hemisphere and they would have just gone to the Southern Hemisphere. But, but yeah, these tiny yeah. little insectivores, they've discovered, they've done some carbon dating on these damn things or some day not carbon dating something but but um dating on these things and they've come out saying the ones that are found in australia are 50 million years younger than any other one found in the northern hemisphere younger uh oh wait wrong way yes sorry linear time it's a a difficult thing as in they're older sorry yes they before they came before they came before 50 years 50 million years before yes thank you oh my goodness it's such a large difference they're like well this kind of gives the idea that maybe they evolved in the southern hemisphere did their thing when you know australia antarctica and india and and south america and even africa were all sort of joined together and then when they sort of split up they then they made a run for it run to the north run to the temperate zones go 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 and they went and did their things there's this wonderful idea now that mammals, the first mammals evolved in the Southern Hemisphere where they should have. And I'm very happy about this. That is good. But uh. e- e- even Southern Hemisphere people are not allowed to enjoy this. Other scientists in the Southern Hemisphere in Australia have said, and I quote, that these are the tiniest, shittiest little shards of fossilized teeth that don't really conclude anything. Oh, well, so it could be two teeth from something else. No, no, they're just saying that they're too small, too many errors. They probably are from these animals, but you haven't found enough that are 50 million years older, and therefore the jury is still very much out. So, ah, so it, uh, could just be, it, it could just be one little tiny mammal that travelled back through time. It could be. It could be. If well, the the doctor, as in Doctor Who, could might have been a, been a weird mammal at one point. But they're saying it could also be convergent evolution. It's not because it's fossilized stuff. It could also just be something else that has a very similar jaw that evolution ah, has brought up. Right. And so so you're something like, that ah. didn't turn into mammals. It just turned into a cul-de-sac. Yes. Or so, yeah. So you're like, ah, damn it. But anyway, I still think. We should say that mammals, we started here, everyone. We started until the evidence comes out. I'm going to claim this one and I'm going to back it to the hilt. And look, you people in the Northern Hemisphere, you still got lizards. I mean, we get, we get humans, don't we? Well, that's we're mammals. Yes. Yeah. But, but, but humans, as in humans turned up in the Southern Hemisphere, right? Yes. East, East Africa, the, um, the Rift Valley. Yes. Hang on. Hang on, I need to go check this on the internet. I mean, probably a bit too close to the equator. Either team to the... Ah, yes, good point. It's, ah, uh, wait, wait, wait. Yes, no, southern, that's Southern Hemisphere. Yes, you're right, Southern Hemisphere. Of course it is. All right, cool. That's fine. So we, we'll, we'll claim humans. Excellent. Your shot, Northern Hemisphere. <laughs> what do you produce? Nothing. Nothing at all. Nothing. What, did, what Nothing. do you produce? What, well, what Milk science... drinkers. That's what they produced. Yeah. Pale, maggoty humans... Uh, Pale, red-headed milk drinkers. <laughs> I caught up with one of my sisters recently. She's a nurse. She was discussing a case where a patient wound wasn't healing. They had to bandage it up three days at a time. Mm. So you look at the wound, 
you clean it, you bandage it up, you wait three days before you can find out whether it's healed. Mm. And they tried a bunch of solutions, and it just wasn't getting better. Now, there are several reasons for a wound to heal slowly. Uh, Things like age, weight, skin moisture, nutrition. Everyone is different, and some people will heal faster than others. So apparently one of the nurses, one of those grand old nurses who has seen it all, uh, and at this point I felt a red flag come up. (laughs) One of those nurses shared that an old remedy she once used back during what I assume was probably World War (laughs) I. They sprinkled sugar on the wound. Sugar? Sugar. So this staff of nurses had run out of options, so they ran the idea past a doctor, Mm. and he gave the go-ahead. So they sprinkled sugar on the wound and left it to heal for three days. At the end of the three days, the wound was suddenly much more recovered. And totally caramelised. Totally caramelised and and delicious. I I did ask Mm. my sister whether she suspected that it was coincidence, but she was mm. convinced it was the sugar. I well, I must admit, if I want to make my pork roast nicer, like you put it, you, you use like you, you baste it with a nice sugary, like a saucy thing. It always makes pork. I did that at Christmas time, and it was amazing. Human bodies and pigs. Like, I'm sh- I'm sure there's some connection there on some weird level. And here's my thought. Here's my thought. It's because suddenly put someone puts sugar in your wound, and your body's like, they're gonna eat me. If I don't get better, <laughs> they're gonna eat me. No, 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 no messing around, everyone. Just, just, just heal, heal. Yeah, none of this sitting on your, none of this yeah. lollygagging, got no. body. We are close enough to the edge that we are seen as prey at this and point. If, if they put an apple in our mouth, we're. <laughs> I'm going out the window. An apple a day attracts a doctor. Mm. So I heard about this sugar remedy, and of course, my question is. What? (laughs) So sugar and honey have been used this way for hundreds of years. But it's only recently that researchers have studied the possibility that there's something to it. See, see, honey makes sense to me because honey, we've talked about honey on the podcast before. Honey is sterile. So that makes sense. Doesn't go off. And so, so you put it on the, in my mind, once again, don't, you put honey on the wound, that would stop anything else from getting to the wound and it's sterile. So it's not putting more bacteria in the wound. That makes sense to me. I can see that in my head. Sugar's a different thing. Like that feels like attracting beasties and bugs and things that eat sugar. Yeah. Well, I guess it would, it would certainly uh, attract flies, but ants can be useful oh. as well. Ants. You want ants? Because that's how you get ants. That's how you get ants. So, Moses Miranda from the University of Wolverhampton grew up having salt or sugar put in his wounds to assist with healing where he grew up in Zimbabwe. His research showed that the sugar absorbs the moisture that the bacteria are thriving in. Without the moisture, the bacteria are suddenly on the back foot. Because the process is the mechanical removal of the moisture that the bacteria need to survive, it can be a successful remedy for people who are not responding to antibiotics. Uh. And as you point out, honey can be just as valuable. You can get medical grade honey for assisting (laughs) with wound treatment because you're not supposed to give honey to babies because it can have botulism in it Uh. and that kills babies. Can I, can I just say that, that I want my, my sex worker name to be medical grade honey? Medical grade honey. I'm just, that's just, that's like, 
honey, I am medical grade. Everyone's like, pay them more. I would like a 45-minute blowjob from medical grade honey, please. Mm, I don't know. No, no, I don't know about that. Okay. Yeah. okay. Oh, I, I'm, I'm never going to get a career. All right. Can I ask a question yeah. before you? Because that's a good question. But I, why not salt? If, if it's mechanically, why 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 don't you put salt on the wound, and that would also draw up the water, and the salt would destroy cells, like anything, like you know, it would cause liquid to come out of a cell. So that would, I thought, that'd be a more useful. This is true. Salt can have the same effect. Ah, good, good. Uh, okay, but it hurts like fuck. Oh yes, <laughs> good point. Oh, a, I, it, yeah. <laughs> when you put salt in your wounds, yes. um, I think there's a phrase to describe yeah. what, yeah, what the, the I, sensation is like. So sugar doesn't hurt in the same way then. Got it. Got it. Okay. Mm. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but yeah, you can uh, apply the, this medical grade honey to the wound and then pour sugar on top and it all not sticks my, in place. And that's not a sex worker name. That's not. I mean, literal medical grade honey, not like. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah, you don't pour her on, or him, you. You don't pour you on the wound. <laughs> sure. Pour me on your wounds. Okay, sorry, this is getting in a weird place. I'm sorry. Yeah, not like every other podcast. <laughs> pour me on your wounds. A medical grade honey. Diabetics need to regulate their glucose levels, and applying half a kilo of sugar to the body must surely mess with that. Yeah. It does not. Because oh. <laughs> sugar is sucrose. In order to convert it into glucose, it needs to be acted on by the enzyme sucrase. Mm. This happens in the digestive tract, so the sucrose in the wound can't convert. So diabetics, no yeah. danger. Right. You could be a diabetic and just like for, for like a special birthday, just get like a, a bed full of sugar and just roll around and go, ha, 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 ha. And I mean, just don't get it in your mouth. You're fine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Cool. Once again, medical grade honey is is coming up with exciting ideas to attract people. Yeah. Oh, because God, I, yuck! Like rolling around a bed full of sugar. Can't think of anything worse. Well, salt, I guess. <laughs> but there you go. Refined sugar, bad for health, but also good for healing. It's been eighty-four years. Eighty-four years, Dan. Are you ready to go back to Pandora? Yeah, sorry. Wrong James Cameron movie. Sasquatch or Bigfoot, who is who? It's all going down at the Crypto Zoo. There's yes. a different Titanic movie. I'm sure we all remember, Dan, where we were in 2009. Some of our listeners weren't born, of course. Where the movie Avatar came out. James Cameron's other big movie. That you know He does lots of big movies. But CGI and 3D and it was a whole thing. It was Yep, I watched it on a 22-inch TV in a flat in France. I think that's exactly how James Cameron really didn't want you to watch it. Yeah, play. yeah. But I saw it I saw it in 3D, and I actually quite enjoyed the 3D. I'm not a 3D person. That was um, very two-dimensional. Uh, I quite enjoyed it, and it was very beautiful, and the story was simple enough. It was fun. It was a fun movie. It was fine. And it went on to make a truck ton of money. I don't think I've ever really understood it and until recently. I saw someone reacting and they said, oh, my God, I saw Avatar 2. It's amazing. It looks brilliant. Oh, you don't have to worry about story at all. You can just enjoy looking at stuff. And I'm like, I, I, I don't understand what, <laughs> what, what humans are anymore. No, that's because true. Because that would... That would be three hours of my life wasted. Well, whatever we'll that get, is, we'll get to we'll get to that soon. This the first movie made 
$2.9 billion. So that's a lot of money. And it cost $230 million. So it, it was a success, a massive success. I saw that. Is it Zoe Zendaya? Or no, 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 Zoe no. no uh, Saldana. Yes, yes. Saldana. She's been blue or green yes. in three, two thirds <laughs> of all the billion dollar movies. Yes. She's, she's very good as, as other colors <laughs> than her known wonderful natural color. Very strange, but it made a lot of money. And there's lots of talk about that. Did it actually make any impact? And, and, and that's fine. People argue about it, but like any movie that makes billions of dollars, James Cameron went, we have to absolutely without a, a moment of, of doubt, Wait, 23 years. No, wait, sorry, not 23 years. Um, we wait 13 years and release the sequel. It's very important. We wait 13 years and release the sequel. And recently Avatar, the fish out of water came out and, uh, mm-hmm. sorry, way of water, but spoilers, fish out of water is actually a very good name for it. And I wasn't going to go see it particularly. Wasn't against it. I was wasn't interested, but one of our listeners by the name of Joey. Joey, how's he doing? <laughs> Very good. That's, that's, that's quite clever. <clears throat> no one told me that life was going to be this way. Anyway. All right. We've milked that cow dry. There's like seven people going, hooray. And everyone else is very angry. So Joey wrote in and asked, I was thinking since Avatar just came out, maybe you could do a crypto zoo on how blue monkey creatures evolve a hair-like structure that can connect to other blue monkeys, animals, and trees. Love the show, Joey. And we've never done a crypto zoo based on someone's thoughts before, I don't believe. We've been inspired a couple of times. The most crucial one was Mm. when uh, my wife was like, you have to do Pikachu. Ah, okay, that's fair enough. The Frog Princess, fair enough. I'll accept that. I am very easily flattered. And when someone says they love the show, then then I will spend a lot of time researching uh, Avatar. In fact, I went to see- Yeah, why are people doing that more often? Yeah, yes, make- yeah, yeah. Tell us what you want. And, tell and us say, you love us. Tell us you love us, and then we'll do this. Then seriously, I went to see a movie because Joey said he loved the show. I went to see a three-hour movie. I sat down and watched it, and it's fine. Spoilers: Joey is actually James Cameron. Oh, and he James. does this to every podcaster. <laughs> damn it! Damn it, James. James, Joey? No, that doesn't work at all. Anyway, I want to see it. It's fine. I'm not even, we're not here to talk about the movie, but it's fine. So for those who don't remember, Pandora is this world. It's a moon actually around a big gas giant and it's has, it's all, all lovely and, and verdant and pretty. And humans go down there to get this mineral called unobtainium and they're very capitalist and militaristic and they go up against the local Navi, these four meter tall, very human looking things, a people and who are very much in tune with the land. And one of the things they can do, and there's other things about, you know, they make humans make a body, like the avatar is the body that they make. That, so you could download your consciousness into it and run around on the planet because we can't breathe their air. But beyond all that, the one of the things they can, they can do is take their hair frond and they can connect it to other hair fronds of other animals and bond with them. So they can take over a wild beast and ride it, or they can a, fl- a flying bird and ride it or connect to the tree and connect to this consciousness. They, they have a name for it. They're godlike. They have a, the power of Pandora. And it's a good question. Like what, 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 what? How does that, how does and that work? It's quite natural too. Like it's, 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 it's quite graceful. It's not like they're taking the court and like they're trying to push it up and then they flip it over and try to push it in again and then they <laughs> flip it back to the original one and then it finally fits. No, no, it's, it reaches out like the two bits of frondy bits sort of come out and sort of touch each other. Like, and there's lots of implications in that, but it's so, like one of those magnetic power things on a MacBook. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. Just 
click and goes right in and suddenly you're, you're downloading at wonderful speeds. So the question is, how does that work? And we're going to ignore things like why are there bipedal quadrupeds on Pandora, the Navi, when every other animal except like one is, is a six legged beast? Even like, ever- did you call them a bipedal quadruped? Well, aren't we a bipedal quadruped? We have four limbs. Ped means foot. You're, tr- you're right. So, yeah. So, as in, but four limbs, I guess. Quadru- like biped and quadruped are two different things. Oh, okay. You can't I have, mean- a, qua- you can't have a, a bipedal quadruped. Because well, what, what that's are we- a, a two footed, four foot. Yes. We, what I mean is we have four limbs. We, we're a four limbed yeah. creature, but on Pandora, except for the Navi, everything else is six limbed. So it's really, huh. it's really weird, but we're not going to go into that. That's also something I discovered. I've learned a lot of this. So the question is, how do they connect with the life forms in that world? Why does that work? That was my premise. So I started thinking about it. Do you have any, any feelings towards this or any thoughts? Well, I mean, in order for like neural systems to connect like that, they would have had to evolve at the same time. So you've got three options. Yep. You could have one creature that evolved into two creatures, and I don't think that's ever happened on Earth. Well, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's what evolution is, one creature turning into new things. No, 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 as in, like, one creature evolved into something that could separate into two things. Oh, right. Okay, I see. Right. Yeah, so I can't... So. I, I, I guess if you had like a, a larvae that was neotenized. Neotenized, yes. Yep. Neotenized. Yep. Uh, like, like imagine gremlins and mogwais. Right. Yes. Like they seem like two different creatures, but one's just one form of the next one. One but is the baby version the, of the other one. Yes. Yeah, so the mogwais were neotenized. Yes. But imagine if the, then a neotenized mogwai and a fully grown gremlin could then like they, they could both go off and because they can replicate so yes. you can spawn more mogwais from mogwais and more gremlins from gremlins yes so they kind of look like two different creatures but they would have the same sort of neural oh uh, okay was set up but even then humans can't do that i don't know many I don't know if there are any creatures that can connect to each other and think at the same time, but I guess like a hive, like a swarm. This is, yeah, I think this, that, I think I, I hadn't thought about the thing you were talking about before, about maybe it's just one thing split across the world. Like it's one living creature that, that is separated out. That's an interesting idea. They have a habit of eating each other, which I, I guess you can, I and mean, that's fine. Um, I think rats do that. Yeah, well, yeah lot, lots of lots of animals, I guess, do. In the end, it's all just meat. But I like the idea of maybe it's a a co- colony, like a, like um like it's a like your uh, man of war, yes, your Portuguese man of war. This is where I first went. Actually, this is the first thing I started looking up. I was like, hang on, maybe it's a colonial animal, maybe it's a colony. So, and in fact, a man of war is what I first thought of. So, we've talked about man of wars on the podcast before, and I have no idea whether they communicate with each other. It's well, I mean, for those who don't know, a man of war, it kind of looks like a jellyfish, but it's not a jellyfish, it's a siphonophore. And every part of it is actually a separate smaller unit called a zooid. So it's a separate multicellular thing uh that actually work together. They're all they're all the same creature. They are very, very different physiologically, as in they're not they're not So one man of war makes baby man of wars. 
So you don't need to have like each part of the man of war making giving birth to a different part of a man of war and they find each other. No, 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 that's right. And so they so in the case of the man of war, you have the ones that like the the gas float, so that that's a big gassy thing that sits on the surface. Then you have the gastrozoids, which actually eat the pulps that eat. There's the tentic- uh, tentacular um papi- um palapons, I think. So that's the that stabby thing. And then you have the gonads. So basically your whole job is just to make more of yourself. Now these are all the same thing, but they're, they all very physically different and have different functions. So they've become very specialized. So it's kind of like the cells in our body are very functionally different, but they, mm-hmm. but, but be a one unit. They're multicellular creatures that work together and become very interdependent on each other. One can process food. One is just the murder stabby bit. One is just the gonad. One is the the gas bit. And they pass food back and forth to each other. So this is, and it's not just Portuguese Man of Wars. There's, there's corals. There are other ones as well. So there's, this is, this is a way of, I thought maybe this is colonial. Maybe it's a colony. Maybe Pandora, the entire moon is a colony and therefore they can all they're all technically the same creature, which is what you were saying before. They're all technically the same creature, mm. but some of them are trees, look like tr- earth trees. Some of them look like six-legged panthers. Some look like sexy blue ladies. Some look like giant murder bats. So that could be quite sweet if, like, the tree was the thing that gave birth because it would be sort of a cabbage patch thing. Although it gets a little bit less exciting or a little bit too exciting if, like, the way that you get the babies in the tree is that the Navi dudes just f*** the tree. <laughs> yes. That. Now, when I went to see the new movie, they go into this, not not tree sex, but they definitely have sex. They, they go into it. Oh, jeez. No yeah, wonder they, it's three hours long. They, they, there's 90 a minutes of tree f***ing. <laughs> yes. They definitely have a sexes, very similar to Earth sexes of male and female sexes, and they're family units, and they have, make, they have babies. So there's no tree involved. Mm. They bring, they okay. take them. Oh, well, I, I mean, I guess that would be entertaining as well. At least it's 3D comes lun- lunging at you like oh, a, like oh, a three stooges oh, oh, 3D no. special or something. I don't know what 3D stooges you saw where they were all having sex with a tree. That's, um, um, bark sauce. No, I was trying to, is it, is it, got him by the curlies. Oh, that's, 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 that's um, I feel bad about everything now. So they they have nuclear families like Earth, <laughs> Earth nuclear families. They're very tribal, and so they take the baby once it's born, and then once it gets a certain age, they they plug it into the tree. I realize that I don't feel like a man of war like colony. A, they're so different, and they're not like stuck on each other. I guess it's possible, but it didn't feel right to me. It doesn't feel mm-hmm. like like the answer. So then I went. Well, maybe I'm thinking too clever. Maybe we need to just go back to things like think of um, like social animals. So, well, like humans are social, but things like you social, which you've also talked about on the podcast before, like ants. So ants can also have different roles. Say they have yeah. big, big bitey ones and you have breeding ones and then you have farming ones that do different jobs and they can get very specialized. So some ants mm-hmm. actually can't make their own food. They have to go steal other ants' babies and run back with them and then imprint on like imprint them on you know, so the ant thinks it's part of them and because they've forgotten how to make their own food or clean themselves or they're good at stealing other ants so they have to get they have to go steal other mm. ants to clean them and to make their lives basically slaves they're they're slavers there's that, a um, lot of lazy ants out there it's almost like the concept of old sparta as in they you know sparta was all about warriors and people being all warrior like 
And then they nipped off and grabbed lots of slaves who then stayed and did a lot of farming and all the boring stuff while they went off and did more warrior stuff. So they became much more specialized. So that was, mm. I thought, ants as well. Like, oh, hang on, that's cool with ants. Because I remember that ants, I looked at ants actually farm. They farm aphids. And they have a symbiotic or mutualistic relationship with aphids. Yeah. Because the aphid produces a, a, a lovely juice, like a, like a sappy stuff that the ant's like, yum, 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 yum. And the ant keeps the aphid protected. So what does the Navi get when it plugs into a tree? They, oh, so, well, in the new movie, they, it, it became very specifically like, well, some of them get help. It's all a bit hippy dippy from your own memories, but you start learning things that you couldn't possibly know. They, they also seem to be able to connect you into their own afterlife. Like they, they, once you imprint it on the tree, when you lost someone, you can plug into the tree and then you can go back and spend time with them again. And they don't know they're dead. They, cause it's a memory, I guess, of someone. It's an imprint of someone. Ah, so, so it's like, it's like a digital copy's been made. Yes. Yes. It's and like information, like memory information has been duplicated into the tree. Yes. That's right. And that there's that side of it of, of you're saved forever and you're, you're uploaded into the tree. So what we need to find is a natural thing that takes information from one creature and forces it into another creature. I guess so. It does not be forcing. I was just, well, let's get back to the mutualism concept. I think that this, I think we, yeah, right? this is where we're going to go. So you have aphids giving the ants sugary drinks and the ant yep. gets protection and, and different sorts of ants, just like oh, the, the aphid gets protection. Oh, sorry. Sorry. The aphid gets protection. So they get to live their lives and don't get eaten. You could say that they're being farmed. The aphid is getting something out of that. It's, it's a mutualistic relationship. The ant can also farm leaves. So they can go off like leaf cutter ants and they go cut all the leaves mm-hmm. and they can take them back into their uh, nest, nest colony. And then they can actually, they don't eat the leaves at all. They give it to a fungus and then they eat the fungus. So the fungus grows and then they eat that fungus. So that's, mm. that's more farming. But once again, I was like, ah, this doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel like, is it ants? Are you, is it you, is it just you social? Are all these creatures just working together because they're working together and they've evolved a much deeper relationship? Mm. It still didn't feel right to me. I, I kept trying to fit it in going, maybe it's like an octopus. Like we, we have a big brain in the top of our heads and octopus also have brains. But they have neural networks all through their arms. Their arms can think for themselves. And mm-hmm. what that, what the octopus experiences, I don't know if it has a singular consciousness or it's just, you know, like it thinks its arms are doing its own thing. I have no idea. I don't think anyone can possibly answer that question yet. But it's different to us. It's more distributed. So maybe I was thinking like an octopus in this case, if, it, if it's eusocial, maybe the Navi and the trees and everything, they all have neural, it's, it, it's a distributed network of, of neurons that can join together. But as you said earlier on, that still feels wrong because you're like, why would they be connected together? It doesn't make sense that a tree would A, develop neurons that your neurons could talk to. Mm. Even if it was mutualism, even if the tree's like, oh, this big blue person is a great lover and I want to keep them around. (laughs) Um, So maybe it's not electricity being sent by neurons. Maybe it's chemistry. Maybe it's a chemical thing because chemistry runs us Partly? Yes. 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 And now in, and that's in the new movie, they make a comment. The humans are like trying to fly around looking for the Navi and they say, Oh, we have 10 minutes before the environment recognizes our technology and attacks us. 
oh, that sounds like plants. That sounds like trees realising they're being attacked. Yes. And sending out a chemical yes. uh, scent. That's thing. that's what I was thinking as well in that case. So the trees, literally the plants are like, oh, hang on, something's going on here. And then they send out a chemical and it drives the angry bat, bird, dragon creatures insane. And they just attack anything that they don't quite recognise. In the movie, in the new movie as well, the humans return to, to Pandora and they now start using the avatars, the soldiers. They give the, they give the soldiers avatars. They go inverted commas native. So they live with the Navi and they learn about the Navi so they can fight the Navi. And at one point when they go in, they send in team blue. They're called, which is hard because they're blue. They're worried they're going to get murdered because you know, the helicopter land, they get dropped off. Like we have to get out of here. Like it took us eight minutes to get here. We have two minutes to get out of this airspace. We're going to get swamped and killed. Best of luck. I hope we don't die. And the Navi, even though they're holding machine guns and all the rest, the soldiers who are in the Navi bodies wait. And then suddenly all the, um, these six-legged panther things turn up and go, Rawr! and then stare at them and then just leave. So the technology wasn't enough. The guns they were carrying was enough to set off the, the defense mechanism because they were yeah. in their Navi bodies. They're in their Navi bodies. Mm-hmm. So, so the planet couldn't tell that they weren't Navi, that they were, mm-hmm. they were skin riding basically. So I was thinking pheromones again, but it did send a panther creature to go check. That creature made it an well, assessment. Maybe the panther was interested in the helicopter. Maybe, maybe, maybe. And you could be, but it runs up to them. And maybe it chased down the helicopter again. You don't know, but it runs away. But it definitely looks at them. And and once again, I'm just basing it on the fact it turns up, looks at them, makes a decision basically not to attack them and buggers off. It leaves. So you're like, well, did it tell something? It, it can't just be the trees put out a pheromone, attack these things, because the panthers would just attack them. So there had to be some level of... It can't just be a simple, find whatever's here that you don't recognize, murder it. it. Yeah, so it's not a chemical that's initiating like a rage. It's a, it's an alert yes. that is making them more wary and, and changing their behavior. Yes, but that creature still could make a decision. It made a decision not to attack. It didn't fit the parameters of what they were looking for, maybe. They were looking for a non-blue creature or whatever, looking for pink monkeys or whatever. Well, if you played an angry roar for a dog, the dog would be like, oh, Jesus, danger, danger, danger. But they're not necessarily going to bite you. They're going to be like on high alert trying to work out where the danger's coming from. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like, yes. So, like, it's, it, yeah. it, it would be conflicting yeah. information for those panthers going, there's danger, but these things are not dangerous. Yeah. I can see that. I can see that. That makes sense. Once again, in the new version, they go underwater and they connect to, to water things. It's all very similar to last time, but they can connect directly. The Na'vi seem to be the only thing that connect directly. I don't remember birds connecting to trees or panthers connecting to buffalo. It seems mm. to be, when I say these words, I mean just the, the equivalent of like, you know, the herd, like the herd creatures. The panthers attack the buffalo and eat them. They don't then connect up and go, hey, we're, you know, it's not, it seems to be something the Na'vi do. And that could just be because the Na'vi are more advanced. I have a counter theory. Okay, please. Yes. The Navi are parasites. <laughs> like those wasps that tunnel into things' Ooh. brains or the, or the cordyceps. 
yes. you know, the mushrooms oh, yes. you get into yes, like- yes, okay. yes, yes, yes. Because they use chemistry to get into other things' brains and make them do different things. Uh. I reckon the Navi are a parasite that can take over other entities because they jump on those big dragons and the dragon wants to eat them and then they're like, no, 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 you just climbed at the top of the tallest plant and then another bigger dragon eats you. Yeah, I, I can see that, except why do they all have the connector? Like, why would you? Why does the panther have the connector and... Like, lots of things have the connector. Because all of these things have a connector. They're like a nose. You need a nose to survive in a place with all these scent things. So, these are all no- These are all the, the tendril noses that <laughs> have co-evolved on this planet. Yep. And the Na'vi have evolved a way to overtake that, to, to use that to their advantage. I, I don't mind that, actually. It's not where I was going with it, but I don't mind that. It's an interesting idea. Even if it's- not, Let's not make it quite as- You could say that- Yes, it's it's like they're a parasite. They, I like the idea that intelligence, the Navi were the first thing on the planet to develop intelligence, and then when they connected to the tree, to to the hive mindy thing, that's when the hive mind started to gain what you'd consider sentience, because it it's only a connection of all the things on the planet. So until the planet developed uh, a sentient intelligence, the planet in the Navi it didn't have sentient intelligence. You see, the problem with that is for the other things to get the intelligence, they need the neural layout to transfer. Yes. And if it's just scent, then that's just things reacting to scent. Yes. If their memories are going into the tree, then maybe it's a, it's storing a smell. <laughs> like it's, it's initiating things into the tree that replicates the smell. And then when you smell it again, it replicates the thing in your brain. It's a smell-based memory <laughs> it's a, a, a recollection system. <laughs> yes, I can see what you're saying there. That's not where I took this, by the way. Can I, I, I have a different idea, I, though I do like yours. I, what We've kind of danced around it a few times now. We keep kind of touching on it, and it's exactly what happened to me when I was trying to think this through. Well, you mentioned it then about cordyceps, as in mm-hmm. fu- a fungus taking over the brain. Mm-hmm. I didn't come from that point. I came from fungus in ant colonies that was when i was like wait there's fungus that gets put all over the world by ants and the ants are eating it but that fungus only grows inside that ant colony now and it does very mm-hmm. well thank you very much and it goes it gets to go everywhere the ants go it's protected mm-hmm. by it and i was like oh maybe there's something there maybe there's something about the fungus and i was trying to work out well could it be a fungal thing and i remember we've talked about the podcast again about large fungi like some of the oldest things in the world are fungi all over, like underneath in the in the forest in in the under the ground in, yeah. in the root systems, these very, very old and they're everywhere and they are mycelium networks. So they, they, they send out these, these mycelium all over the place. And then here's, I found really fascinating. This, this is something that I only discovered this because of this question. There's been mm-hmm. a lot of research done on this, something called the Mother Tree Project, which you can find the links in the, uh, in the show notes. And it's all about Douglas firs in Canada and how they have this fungus, mycorrhizal network of fungus that goes all through their roots and connects hundreds of trees all together. And those trees actually give carbon and nitrogen back and forth 
through that they put it into the fungus, the fungus transfers it to another tree. Ah, so it sort of balances things out. I'd heard this before, like water, like these funguses make it easier. I, what I knew of it was like this fungus makes the soil better and, and nutrients and it brings nutrients to the tree. I'd heard that part. What I didn't realize is the trees actually can pass stuff back and forth to each other. They can actually mm. pass nutrients back and forth that quite. So when Dr. Simard did this research as late as the, in the 1997, it's like, it's, it's been known for a while, but it's still, it's just not, the information is just not out there. It's very interesting. It's not just trees fighting each other and, and grabbing resources. The Douglas firs actually give each other material, uh, carbon and nitrogen to survive. So if someone, if one's doing worse mm-hmm. than the other, they will pass it. It will also give preferential carbon and nitrogen to its own kin if it's genetically related over other Douglas firs that are not genetically related to it closely. Ah. Just think about that for that's blows my mind. That it it goes, oh, that's my sapling. I will give that preferential treatment to this other sapling. I won't kill the other sapling. I just won't help it as much. And I went, oh Which is how it evolved in the first place. It's fantastic. And then you look at other ones. So birch trees in the same area are all connected to that same network. The Douglas fir actually sends it material and the birch tree, when it has no leaves, the Douglas fir feeds it. It's like, hey buddy, no problem. I'll keep you alive. And when the when it does have leaves in the summer, it passes back nutrients back to the Douglas fir. So it's like a mutualism again. They're communicating and helping each other when they need it. So there's actually an interdependence network at this point. That's a whole show all on its own, by the way, when you think about what I've just said mm-hmm. then. And they even did tests where they put saplings next to these mother trees, these big trees in the forest, and they would uh, put saplings in a bag and like put it in the ground, but the bag had holes in it so that the fungi could get into it into the root network Mm -hmm. and then they had other bags so water could come through but it was too small the holes are too small so the fungi couldn't get through and the trees of course were connected to the network thrived and the other ones did not thrive because they weren't Mm. connected to the network so it definitely is part of the network so here we have we have this tree that uh, it's not just douglas firs but this is just where where it came from they're connected with fungi all over the place and i think this is my answer to Joey's question is how do blue monkey-like creatures talk to each other and connect to everything else on Pandora? I think it's because the creatures a long time ago, when they started to evolve as animals, the fungi, I guess it would be a fungi like we think of fungi, something very similar evolved symbiotically. So it was a fun- mm-hmm. fungal network inside every cell. It was separate, but it was inside every, inverted commas, animal cell. And it's, it's the connector. So the while the animal evolves, the fungal network hasn't evolved. It's just passing from baby to – it's passing down the line – Every, and it's not just in animals, it's also in plant cells, it's in every cell, it's everywhere in Pandora. It's just hitched a ride and it's given the benefit of, well, probably giving nutrients to the cell, like it's giving access to things. And interestingly enough, the mycelium network, it's joined, now this is where it gets a bit wibbly wobbly, the fungi, our version of the fungi aren't doing this, but it can therefore connect through the neurons of the thing through the through the network. Like the cordyceps stuff that gets into the insects. Yes. 
Yes, there it is. So it's hijacked, but now it's mutual. Not hijacked. It's it's a mutualist. But we do we do that as humans too. We've got bacteria, which are a different organism that are helping us think. Yes, yes, that, like, yes. That provide us with like we would think differently without those literally extra, literally bacteria in our body. Yes, and all I'm saying is this mutualism, this symbiosis, started very early in Pandora. It was just a, one of those things, the fungi and the animal cells and the fungi and the plant cells joined up well, when before they were separate things and they basically it was fungi first maybe and then the other thing split off and took the fungi with it. So the fungi can talk to itself because it's all one creature technically inside mm. every other creature. Now, that means all the little animals can, little animals, the, the less evolved creatures, that's a silly way of putting it, but you know what I'm trying to say here, but the, the non-Navi, the non-big brainy things, they can all connect to each other and have a fungal-like relationship and pass information back and forth. And that's obviously been strengthened over billions of years. The Navi add a level, as we talked about before, of neurons and brains. And so they're just a node of the fungal intelligence that actually is Pandora. They're just a mushroom. So just like, mm. just like they look like Smurfs, they're blue. They don't live in mushrooms. They are mushrooms on some, yeah. on some or, level. Or they are constantly high on the mushrooms and they're like, man, I can definitely talk to trees <laughs> and the trees can definitely talk back to me and like, I went and I rode on a panther and it didn't kill me because it was me and I was him. But, but it, but it does actually work though. Well, maybe the, maybe the movie is the, from the point of view of some stone. <laughs> I, okay. Blue monkey. I, I will give you that, but I'm pretty, look, give me, give me, give it's me narrative something. License. Give me, give me something here. I, I am pretty, I'm pretty excited that we may have actually stumbled into how that actually does connect. Cause I think this kind of works. It does. It's a little bit of hand waving. I, I like yours better. <laughs> so I think it's fungal. So Joey, I think it's fungal. I think that's why it all reaches out. When you see the big tree, it hangs off and it has got the fronds that look very similar to the ones in their, you know, the connectors on the back of their neck. The, also the ones underwater in the new movie, it looks like a coral version, but still these fronds come out and they connect to the fronds. They look very similar everywhere they go because it's the same damn thing. It's a fungal network connecting the whole planet and it's probably in the ground. It probably isn't a brain somewhere. It's a distributed intelligence that the Navi are just fruiting bodies of, intellectually fruiting bodies. Perfect. Done. Have you ever used a bad word, Greg? A cuss? I have, and it was a fucking good one too. Oh, nuts. Sorry, sorry. That that was one then, wasn't it? Oh, and what's the punishment, Gregoire? Washing my mouth out with soap. Yeah. Because those dirty words have made a mess of my mouth and it needs cleaning. Of course, it's a mix-up between metaphors and reality, but conveniently, soap tastes awful, so it works out as a 1950s punishment anyway. Mm. So, so all right, I better do that then. Just a one year. Okay, so so I've got soap in my mouth. So we're talking talking about surfactants with foaming agents. Mm. There are other types of industrial soaps for different purposes, but we're looking at the substance that foams up and helps us clean our hands. Mm. Many of us already put a little bit of soap in our mouths. They put a little tiny bit of soap in toothpaste. Uh, yes, yes. So the soap and the uh, and the foaming agent is what causes it to foam up 
and it gives us a nice sense that the toothpaste is working. <laughs> the abrasives and the thickeners are doing most of the heavy lifting. The soap helps move the abrasives into more contact with the teeth. Now, the soap doesn't really disinfect the mouth. If you brushed your teeth with just soap, it would be slightly less effective than toothpaste and substantially less tasty. <laughs> we then spit out the toothpaste or the soap. But what, Gregoire? What would happen if it kept going? What does soap do if it journeys through the human body? Ooh. Now, eating soap is called saprophagia. It's quite rare. There is a mental illness called pica. Uh, people with this condition tend to electrocute <laughs> squirtles. It's, it's, it's a only Pokemon joke for you guys. It's only when they use their mouths. Pika is actually a condition where the subject eats stuff that isn't food. It's often associated with people whose mental capacity is fairly low. Mm. So children, so, yeah. people with mental learning challenges, and women. <laughs> Wait, that's... Let me, let me check my notes. That hang doesn't on. sound right. Uh, like, hang on. Uh, ah, pregnant women. Ah. So pregnant women often have diet changes while creating a human inside them. Mm. And there are plenty of stories of women craving clay and chalk while their bodies are working out what they need to make a healthy baby. Mm. Now, sometimes, very rarely, it's soap. There are various additives that can create problems, but soap itself is non-toxic. It does, however, have quite a high pH. So we know on the pH scale, neutral is 7. Soap is often between 9 and 10. So it's basic, very basic. It is basic. Alkaline. The body is often pretty good at judging how much is a sensible amount, so it will sometimes try to vomit the soap out. <laughs> yes. Or... It can go with ejecting it out the back door. Once okay. again, our bodies are fantastic at balancing mm. pH. Mm -hmm. We well, have to be because your cells, your cells, everything is horribly wrong. If you don't balance your pH, then yes, that things go very wrong very quickly. Yeah, yeah. But our bodies are great at it. Yeah. Well, because we most, we, most well, of the time. Well, let's face it; it's because we our cells were like, "Yay, oceans!" or you know, "Yay, salty water!" And then we suddenly we kind of carry the oceans with us now inside our bodies, and yeah, the acidity is all sort of balanced out, or the alkalines balance out because things go horribly wrong. But yeah, it's been it's billions of years of evolution keeping us from from not just falling apart. Yep. Yep, pretty good stuff. So soap will often have a foaming agent. Foam in our bowels means that we're catching gas in many little pockets. Mm. It is very common to have foam in our bowels. It is a side effect of breaking down proteins. Mm. So if you've got foam in your bowels, it will give you lots of little farts. <laughs> right. So if... You take a degas pill. This reduces the surface tension of the water and the bubbles break and you can have one productive fart and go on with your day. Nice. Now, soap is also a surfactant. Just like a sink full of dish soap can foam up with agitation, but they will all pop quite easily. Mm -hmm. I can't find any information about this, but I suspect that eating soap would make you less gassy because that surfactant would hit the gas in the colon and it would pop all the bubbles. Uh, once again, it would join into one big bubble or just release it all in one go? Or Yes, it would It would basically make one big bubble and it would release in one nice productive fart. Excellent. Good, 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 good. Okay, so that's what happens in the stomach and the, the, the upper intestine. Finally, we get to the colon. Mm. Now, soap enemas have been a constant in medicine for a long time. If you have something caught up there that you want dislodged, you could send some soapy water up there. 
Now we're talking about going, going from the like, other side, though. We're, like before, you were talking about going through the mouth. Now we're talking going through the the anus. I mean, that's just because that was the easiest way for oh, okay. people who wanted to get it in there. Right. But we okay. know what happens when it's in there. So ah, even okay. if it comes from the other end, yes, this is probably what's going to happen. Right. 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 It's going to make things a bit more slippery, but more importantly, the soap can stimulate peristalsis the muscle contractions that get things moving. Mm. Now, from what I can work out, it is still occasionally used today. I don't think it's super common because we tend to have pretty good laxative options. But if all of those fail, you just pump some soapy water up there and it gets everything quivering and slippery (laughs) and hopefully pops those problem things out. Nice. Quivering and slippery is exactly what medical grade honey is all about. Quivering and slippery. (laughs) She has a very specific set of talents, doesn't she? Mm-hmm. Or y- he, you? I, I don't know. I don't know what gender you are in this flight of fancy. There's only one way to find out. I would rather eat soap, <laughs> <laughs> which is interesting because that is the first. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there have been rare instances of allergic reactions to soap up the booty. Mm. So hopefully that wouldn't happen to you. So. To summarise, mm. if you eat soap, it'll taste bad. It will make your mouth slightly cleaner, but not as effectively as brushing with toothpaste. It can make you vomit, it can reduce farting, and it will probably make you shit yourself. Nice. Uh, I mean, poop, poop yourself. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, darn it. Here we go again. Well, you're not going to do a giant fart noise. Oh, I'm very disappointed. Yay. <laughs> that feels too lowbrow even for us somehow. <laughs> we have a Knight's Bachelor application. Well, a Knight's, Knight's Spatula. No, no, no. It's oh. a Knight's Bachelor oh, okay. application. Okay. But their reward oh. is a Knight Spatula. Oh, my God. It's so confusing. Explain yeah, it. We people. made it this way intentionally, I, I, I think. It's insane. So Tom Seary would like to submit his wife to be considered for the honour of being a Knight's Bachelor of mm. the Most Excellent Order of Smart Enough to Know Better. Excellent, yes. In order to become a Knight's Bachelor, you must save a human life through the heroic use of science. There is currently only one member, Brad Nyberg, who saved a drowning trucker using friction and leverage. Excellent. That was many years ago now. Was, and everyone's it's just been too confusing ever since, so... It's um. (laughs) Tom says, I asked my wife if she has ever used science to save a life. Her response was, literally every day I look at a (laughs) gram stain, say shit's whack, yo, and use it to determine the appropriate antibiotic to use. Mm -hmm. So people who need antibiotics are sometimes at risk of death. So human life in danger? Check. Yes. But this is just the baseline expectation of your work. You don't get a night spatula. For just doing your job. That's right. That, we made this very hard for anyone to actually achieve for some reason. We went out of our way to make this as... as uh, because difficult. we want it to have value. Oh, rarity. Life. Excellent. Yes. Mm. Okay. But she did give a, spe- a specific example. She told Tom in horrible graphic detail <laughs> about a man who had his arm ripped oh. off by an industrial dough mixer oh. in a bakery. Oh. The wound then got colonised by a really unusual yeast. She was able to identify the microorganisms and initiate a treatment that would never have been considered without her interpretation 
of the test results and is the reason that he is still alive. They should just put some sugar on it. Just whack some sugar on it. We're fine. Uh, well, then you risk making a cake. <laughs> so this is very specific knowledge that she used to save a man's life. Now, I'm on the fence about mm, this one. Mm. It does sound very impressive, but it's still part of her job. Yes. Also, I'm kind of thrown off by the phrase, shit's whack, yo. <laughs> Though Tom does take care to point out that in the six years he's known her, that was the first time she has ever said, <laughs> shit's whack, yo. <laughs> So, Grégoire, I would like you to make the call here. I've, I've been thinking about this a lot, and it's a fantastic story, and I do appreciate Tom writing in. We don't even know the name of the person who that Tom... It's just Tom's wife, and I feel weird about that. Oh, no, no, I've got, I've got the name. Oh, okay, oh, there you go. Okay, well, fair enough. That's good then. I, I didn't. Yes. I, 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 His wife is Amy Dolan. That, well, that's we, I'm glad this person has a name. Fantastic. I have been thinking about this as well. We've made it unbelievably hard, but I still feel it falls into the realm of it's your job. Amy did the job very, very well, but it's still the job. So I would say no. However, mm-hmm. however, I would say that there is another award that we could give her, and that is the inaugural, I've literally just made it up, Shit's Whack Yo mm-hmm. Award. Smart I've read as Shit's Whack Yo Award. Because I think she's exactly on the money there. It's the first time and the only time that she needs to say Shit's Whack Yo, and she's hidden one. I think she's exactly right. That shit is whack, and I think she deserves a Smart After the Better Shit's Whack Yo Award. All right. Well, I don't know what to send her now. I, so. I, I, part of me feels like wanting to send her like a, a loaf of bread just because it's hilariously yeast-related. And it will definitely not survive the trip. Like that will be stale bread by the time it gets there. We could, we could, we could have it. We could have. Yes, you're right. Damn it. <sighs> Let's ship it over in a boat. <laughs> I suppose it's for the best too, because would would she be a knight's bachelor? Like because that term seems like overly gendered. Should she should she be a knight's spinster? I don't think a spinster. That doesn't seem very complimentary. I don't think a spinster and a bachelor are the same. A spinster is normally known as a person. Why they're called spinsters is because if you <laughs> couldn't find a man, they can't get married. Not because they don't get. Yeah, married. Yeah, well, also a spinster it comes from spinning. I mean, they had to make their own money because they were too old and ugly, and no man was going to take them. So they had to make their own money by doing being a seamstress. So it's actually a very negative thing. We're a bachelor. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh, she probably dodged a bullet then. Yes. All right. Well, there you go. Another failed attempt <laughs> at the Knight's Bachelor. But thank you so much to Tom and Amy who got roped in. And is now, as a, though, I though, s- though I think she should be very proud. We will, we will generate something. We will create for her the inaugural Shits Whack Yo Award from Smart Enough to Know Better. Uh, you are the first person to get it. You may not be the last, but if someone else thinks that shit is whack, yo, then um, please let us know and you may get that one. It's like a second tier level, like a Knight of the Garter and then Knight of the of the Stool. Like it's a, it's a separate it's level. It's like Lords and Dukes. Yes, and you got it. There it is. It's pretty yeah. good yeah. and I want to acknowledge it. Welcome to the Walk of Shame, where you, the listener, tell us where we've made tiny mistakes that are crucial mistakes, and we 
acknowledge them. So, Greg, do you have any walks of shame for me? I have a walk of shame from a person who sends in lots of walks of shames for you. Um, Eloise is a long-time listener. What is she, she, she is an infamy. <laughs> I think Eloise also sends you stuff, but because I, I act so pathetic, uh, she listens a lot harder for me now, and I appreciate that, Eloise. Thank you, Eloise. So Eloise pointed out that we were talking at one point about the Voyager Golden Record and how we sent nudes into space. So we sent, yep. and uh, and you said that, Yes, we sent the Vitruvian man into space, like to, you know, we're showing it as naked. As Eloise pointed out, and it, to, to share all of our weak points. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yes, yes. So I didn't even pick up on it, which amazes me. But Eloise points out, well, no, it wasn't the Vitruvian man. It was a picture of a man waving and a picture of a lady naked. Both of them it wasn't the Vitruvian man. It's just, it's a, it's an outline of a male figure and a female figure, not the Vitruvian man. Yes, we did send nudes. Oh, wow. We did send nudes into space, but we sent a dude and a lady. And you want to know it's really weird? Oh, well, they, what's interesting is they showed the pulsars, like the closest pulsars to Earth, so you can work out where Earth is and come and get us. And they, they put the pictures of the human beings next to a, an image of the actual spacecraft so they could work out how big we were to make sure they could, you know, get a proper sized prison to come get us. But we were very careful. <laughs> and I find this really interesting. Oh, we were finally very careful. Oh, yeah. Well, about we, obviously, obviously, we're very nervous about one thing. We have a wonderful picture of a man, and he's waving, and his junk is out and proud, like he's just he's like, "Look at my penis!" Woo! And then the lady standing next to him, she does look kind of like, you know, which is fair enough. She has no vagina. There's no vagina, Dan. It's smooth like a Barbie doll. It's bizarre. Oh no! And I think it's because we're so worried about men from Mars taking our women. That we didn't even want to tell them that they had vaginas, so they didn't come and come. Um, mm. that, that didn't. That didn't. I, I don't want to say that. I don't want that in the podcast. We both said at the same time, but it turns out when when we're not I don't like there. There is no low bar on I this found, podcast. I found bad. I feel really awful that I said that. I guess the fart jokes stay in. Oh, no. But thank you, Eloise, for pointing out that it's actually a naked dude and a naked lady, not the Vitruvian man. Wonderful. All right. Well, thank you so much. That, that's that's good to get that false memory out of my head. <laughs> Hopefully, it stays out of my head because I, I can I can visualize that image now. I've seen that image. I know what she's talking about. When you said it, I think it infected me as well. When you said it was a trivia man, my brain went, oh, "I know what the the plate looks like, the record looks like." Well, the sorry, the yep. plate, not the, the, the plaque. Sorry. And I also put the Vitruvian man there because you said the words. Yeah. Yeah. You're a influencer. I'm like cordyceps. <laughs> so, Joey Wesley got confused while listening to you discuss penises in art. Yes, yes. You stated that there's no such thing as averages. Then mm. you said moments later to anyone with a penis, it's probably average. He asks, does average exist? Does it not? Mm. Is Joey's penis average? <laughs> so... Mm. If we have listeners out there struggling with these problems, you can send a photo of your penis to Greg <laughs> at smartenough.org so that he can ascertain if your penis is average or not. Look, I'm just going to say that if you do that, you will be contacted by Medical Grade Honey and Medical Grade Honey will demand that you pay for an OnlyFans account. <laughs> Please don't right. send me pictures of your junk. Too late. <laughs> All right. So. Oh, God. Uh, 
You have been listening to Dan at smartenough.org. Also, the other sexy voice listening to is Greg at smartenough.org. If you would like to contact us, get along to the website smartenough.org and you can comment in the comment <gasps> section. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. It's like Twitter, but without the mad person that runs it. <laughs> well, let's have a quick alert <laughs> to our listeners about that. <laughs> so, Greg left Twitter and Greg was running the Smart Enough account. And then yes. I was running the Smart Enough account. And now I've left Twitter. So nobody's at Twitter anymore. So no. we're going to take the Twitter button off the website. And yeah, also, yeah, yeah, yeah. we're going to take the Facebook button off the website because yeah. none of those things are any good. No, they're rubbish. They're garbage. Hey, so, I mean, yes, they have value here, everyone. I understand that. But we've just decided we don't want to support that anymore, either of them. Yeah. So we're not going to. Yeah. That's okay. And, we, and also, if you use Facebook or Twitter, we're judging you. We think you're <laughs> bad people. D- Dan we're thinks quite, you're bad We're, we're righteous people and you're uh, D- bad D- people. D- Dan, this is what Dan, but this is what Dan thinks. And Dan, this is Dan the official speak. stance of the podcast. <laughs> Damn it. Oh no. If you would like to support us. <laughs> Not anymore, they won't. <laughs> yeah, well. If you'd like to support us. Pay penance, maybe. Tell everyone on Twitter and Facebook about us. <laughs> On Mastodon. Go on to Mastodon and tell everyone. Or post social. Uh, yell it out a window. Yell it out a window. Yeah. Tattoo um, it on your newborn baby's back. Better still, mm? you could drop some money into our tip jar on the website uh, or buy a shirt um, or you could become a patron. And we'll tattoo someone else's baby's back. That's what That's what most of the patro- Patreon money goes to. Yeah, obviously. These, uh, minor tattoos. <laughs> All right. It's it's cheaper, though, because the skin is so soft. Oh, it's like, oh, so soft. It's, like, it's the best leather, I tell you. <sighs> Baby skin so, seat, seat, seat suits. <laughs> if you sign up to the second tier of the patron, we will call mm. you out and thank you for your support. So a big thank, thank you. you to Britta Rogowski, Andrew Potts, Andrew Trousdale, A.V. Greenbury, Ivan, Matt Ewers, Ilana Mitchell, Gronya Maguire. Gronya? Gronya. That was right. That was right. I'm 100% sure that was right. Matthew Toy, Lindsay Jenkinson, Elizabeth Yunkin, and Andrew Whitehurst. Thank you guys all so much for supporting the podcast. You guys are top shelf. Woohoo. We do love it. Thank you very much. You support the third tier, then. I have to insult you. It's very strange. Very, very strange. strange, but that's what's happening now. So it's back to school time. So all of the insults are back to school themed. In, in, in Australia, in Australia. It's, I think people already got, went back to school a couple of weeks ago in, um, in like the US and yeah, because, the UK. Because they, 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 they have, have longer like summer off. holidays. Uh, but we yes. have longer summer holidays and it's that whole... Southern yep, Hemisphere versus that, Northern yeah. Hemisphere thing all over again. Let's not pick at that scab. Don't you get me started, Dan Beast. All right. Send a little shrew-like mammal after you. Steve Stewart, you are the HB pencil of the podcast. Not sharp enough to be precise, not soft enough to leave an impression. <laughs> Mikhail Kedar. You are the sticky tape of the podcast. Even though I know there must be one, sometimes it feels like there's just no end to you. <laughs> Robert Shelton, 
You are the self-adhesive book covering of the podcast. <laughs> sticky. So sticky. Just unpleasantly sticky. And you get those bubbles on the on your surface and you have to be popped with a pin. You have to push them out to the edge. So annoying. So, That's a good oh, addition to the insult. Oh, oh it's just oh, I'm so angry now. Just I didn't even realize how much rage I was carrying there about that. Oof. Steve Eichenhout, you are the children's scissors of the podcast. If we can just put pressure on you in a very specific way, you could actually be in some way not completely useless. <laughs> Tom Siri, you are the clag glue of the podcast. Pasty and tasteless. Still, but but still kind of good to eat? Or is that just me? Oh, no. Hey, no. no. People, eat, people eat glue. They do. Mm, what sort of people eat glue? Yeah, like, that's true. Glue yeah, eaters. Yeah. <laughs> we don't hold no glue eaters around here. And finally, Danny Sores. You are the diligent teacher who cares about early childhood development and the well-being of each and every child under his care the teacher with an intense duty to help shape young minds and has a passion for excellence. Danny, you are like this teacher in that no matter how good you are at what you do, at the back of everyone's mind is the suspicion you might be a pedophile. Jesus. I knew this is where you were going with that. And I'd like to point out, as a professional teacher, <laughs> I'm... Ooh, I don't know what it is. You know what idea you just put into the head of every single listener? What's that? Oh, God damn it, Dan! <laughs> a big thank you to those who have asked to not be abused. Scott Driscoll, Eric Wilson, Michael Barnes, Morton O'Hare, and Al Batson. You are the last bell on a Friday afternoon. Yay! And finally, Sean Seifkin, who <laughs> still hasn't worked out his banking stuff, and so he gets, he gets the first part of an insult. Sean, you are like the podcast's mimeograph in that you. <clears throat> now I just want to know what the answer is. Like, I, I want to pay the difference in the money so I can hear what it is. Oh, man. Well, you know, show me the money because I'm sure I'm coming up with a joke. Those things stink and they're old. See, it writes itself, listeners. It's right, yeah, like, yeah, that's it, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True. So thank you, everyone, who supports the podcast. You guys are great. Write um, in and tell us that you love us. That's, that's Look, we're just flat out asking now. We're just we, we're needy. We're needy people. We're needy people. We're very needy. And as we always like to say, medical grade, honey. I have signed back into Facebook for a couple of days yes. just so that I can tweet and tell people I'm on Mastodon. Right. Tweet. Yes. Face post. Post, yeah. I did a facey. <laughs> I very rarely got any of that through Twitter because I curated it so effectively. Mm -hmm. And that all got turned off last week. Ah, right. So the only way I can experience Twitter now is the horrible fire hose of poison and sugar. Gravity equals MC squared, so energy also has a gravity field. That's why light can bend. And Sorry, I'm making a terrible joke worse. I'm sorry. I'm, oh. I'm so excited about just fading the intro music over the top of that. <laughs>
looked into this. I'm sure that there is a whole lot of people out there who are super into this sort of stuff. And there's lots of, I, I actually decided not to look into if there was a massive fan base of people who have written all the stuff up. I, I thought we need to work this out ourselves. So the question yeah, is, yeah. How do we're smarter than they are. We are. We are smart enough to know better. Even. So here's That's our question. the name of the thing. <laughs> Weird yeast. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh it's it. awful. I, love I kept it. wondering, like, did it smell bready? Like, was the wound all a bit like, you know, like, oh, it smells delightful in here. I wonder what that, that, it'd be that sickly, sweet, meaty, bready. Blah, 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 blah. The whole thing is horrible. And your arm's been ripped off. And you're kind of generating bread inside you, ah, or beer. Maybe, yeah. maybe they're making beer. He is risen. <laughs> <laughs> it's very good. I, I just broke Dan. Then, like to point out, I broke Dan. Dan, Dan was uh, Dan's brain stopped. Like that was very bizarre. That was like he. he, he no, he I just, I out. just had to go back because I'm like, I wonder. If, it really did look like your brain went. Beep, 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 Getting the update and you loaded the update. Like it really I was quite- just talking via the mushrooms. 